first and foremost, I, I want to tell you what a huge honor it is to be working with today someone who's been a mentor to me personally and given some advice as I've been making my transition into full-fledged and full-time consulting and training for enterprise sales teams. But Ed Julian's been uh, working with me through the Technology Association of Georgia's sales leadership uh, focal, and um, he's joining us today to talk about some of the things that we've both been really interested in, which is uh, dissolving the silos between different organizations. So, Ed, how are you doing today? Good. Good afternoon, Jason. Oh, fantastic. And uh, as much as I know you, I don't think uh, many of our audience will. So if you want to just start off, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, uh, what you've done in your career as it relates to sales and technology. Sure. I uh, uh, studied engineering, started my career in manufacturing, uh, working for companies like Toyota and IBM and smaller uh, family manufacturing companies and such. And one day I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to try this sales thing. It was, it was really that abrupt. And uh, went over to selling the same products that had been manufacturing for so many years and, and it worked out okay. Um, that led to uh, a, a number of different sales positions of which the latest is with a, a software company out of the Netherlands. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And what were some of the roles you had in those various different companies that you were working in? Well, in manufacturing, it was always in uh, uh, either industrial engineering or, or manufacturing leadership, such as the, the last job was a plant manager of a plant of about 350 people. Um, in sales, it uh, was always a regional position um, until the uh, latest position before this one being director of sales, global director of sales for a chemical company and now uh, basically VP of the Americas for this uh, software company. Every time I get to talking to you, I could I could talk for hours. So I uh, and the more I do this, I'm about seven or eight episodes in. It's not as easy as it looks. No, nobody gets the nobody gets the podcast thing right until about episode thirty. You know, I mean, <laughs> even the professionals. Um, you know, one that that I'm absolutely in love with is uh, Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. So, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell has written multiple books and he's done so many interviews. And when you listen to Revisionist History, episode one, two and three, it's horrible. And uh, now he's now on season four. And yeah. oh, it's I mean, yeah, he's got a lot of money behind him producing it. But you can just tell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't come that easy. But yeah, this is another one of them that uh, I got a new skill. And this is this new skill. Um, I'm recognizing how essential it is. I don't think it's going to go away. Once I get good at it, I don't see myself putting it down because I think people just need that thought leadership exactly. from their business partners, right? If you're going to be a solution for someone, they want to be able to get knowledge from you when you're not available. They want to be able to share that knowledge with other people. And it's just a great format. I hope that you guys are doing something similar to this and putting out just your thoughts on the nature of the problems you solve. Yeah, that's cool. Now, I do understand from our previous experience, you've got a little piece of your story that's close to my own heart. Uh, as you know, I, I lead uh, or one of the organizers for One Million Cups, which is an entrepreneurial group uh, sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, also city leader for Bunker Labs, which is a military veterans entrepreneur group. Um, but we did talk a little bit about some of your ventures uh, overseas and uh, in other countries where you actually had to work sales as an entrepreneur. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I, I was working for IBM in 2001, and uh, they sent me down to Mexico to move the manufacturing from North Carolina to Mexico. And uh, I, I kind of forgot to come back home and was there for 13 years. And so that, that was where I ended up flipping over from manufacturing to sales was while living in Mexico for those years. And then the chemical company that I was working for here in Atlanta, Georgia, sent me over to uh, Europe for about a year and a half. And, and so I've, I've been able to see uh, um, different, different environments, different cultures, and, and see how you know, all of these things apply around the world. Right. I, I think that's why you and I match so well together, that um, experiencing selling from the perspective of a startup entrepreneur has been uh, really an eye-opener for me. We also have the same shared adversity of having worked for IBM, which nothing against IBM. It's just being one in 600,000. It's a different perspective on sales. Am I right? Exactly. Right, right. And so one of the things that we talked about in setting this call up was, again, the silos that existed. When we can see the difference between what you and I have both done as solopreneurs in the entrepreneur space and even in the smaller businesses as your companies have grown, versus the large organizations that have these big matrix matrix companies and these silos sometimes, these cold wars between sales and marketing operations. And um, there's a lot of adversity there that you got to overcome in those big companies. Has that been right for you everywhere you've seen? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the areas where I've been able to have more success in sales was that I had those 15 years experience in manufacturing. And so whether or not I wanted to succeed in my job in sales, I not only had the understanding of manufacturing, but also the respect for. And so I would never put the operations team in a position where I knew that it was going to make life difficult for them because I had already been there. And so it's one of the things that I always recommend to not only the sales team to really live the life of operations for a day, but for the operations people to come out and live a life with sales to see how each other's lives exist. And that becomes a really good way to break down those silos so that people understand that, you know, we're not all trying to succeed individually, but as a, as a unit. Right. Right. I spoke to another investor once that said he, uh, if he ever sees that sort of a tiff between sales and marketing about leads, he just tells his marketing people, okay, these leads you just gave sales, go ahead and you sell it. Yeah. <laughs> he tells to sell people, all right, go and get your own leads. And that kind of puts people to bed when they see the other side. Right. You talked about not putting pressure on the operations teams, you know, doing some things to make sure you made life easy on them. Uh, I want to know how you did that, like what kind of things you did to make their life easier. And what kind of pressures did you and your sales team tend to see coming from the outside into your sales team? You know, I, I, I think the, the the main thing that I've been able to do is find a way to always ask for something and then ask if it's possible and then ask how it affects their life and then ask and ask and ask. Because if the operations team is trained in negatively to do whatever sales says, or they're just really hell bent on pleasing, then you end up in a situation where, where both sides are disappointed. So being able to not, not necessarily have said, hey, I worked 15 years in your area. I know what you can do when you can't do. But just having that compassion to be able to ask and say, 
um, you know, how, how is this really going to affect you? Because if you can't do it, that's fine too. Tell me, and then together we'll find a new solution. Right. Open collaboration is what I hear you saying. And you talked about living the other side, the other perspective. Is that always possible? Is it always, you know, a real option for someone to go and see the other person's side, do you think? Well, and that, that depends totally on the leadership of the company. Um, if they set departments against each other and create a competitive environment within their own company, then, then they're destined to see, you know, one try to succeed more than the other. But in some of the, the best companies in the world, what, what you see is um, that cross-pollination, you know, that, that people uh, having worked in other departments and other areas or just having spent some time there so that they, they, uh, they, they have to have respect for what the other people do. So it's not always possible or, you know, absolutely necessary, but it, 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 I think it's proven time and time again to be a successful strategy. So one of the things is since um, it's not always possible for companies to actually get people to work together, tell me, I think that the company you're starting to work with now is doing similar things in terms of sentiment analysis and tracking uh, what's going on inside your group uh, passively and from the outside. Is yeah, right? right. So um, having left uh, the last company I was with after a horrible private equity role, um, uh, the not not my role, but the private equity role of the of the company. Uh, I, I stumbled upon a company that had come up with this technology that allows uh, allows the company to use an AI algorithm, which picks up on the tension and the the personal involvement of the employees. And it just blew my mind because I couldn't help think back and to all the situations that I had personally been in, where the company was charging along, decisions were being made, people were executing strategies, but you could just tell that underneath all that, something wasn't right. And so we all have been in that situation in companies where, where you know, the tension is high and things are positive and people are taking responsibility. And we've all been in that situation where the tension is high and everybody's at each other's throats. And because of the technology and all the digital exhaust that's coming out of our email systems and messaging systems, we're now able to use AI to analyze that and come up with a score and say, hey, here's where we are today as far as the employees and their tension levels and their personal involvement. And that's what this software from KeenCorp does, is it takes all that digital exhaust, measures it, and gives the, the senior leadership a dashboard upon which they can uh, um, say, here's where we are today. Now that score by itself isn't really the most important thing because you, you don't necessarily need to compare uh, company to company or geography to geography. What's really most important is detecting change. So in the case where you have, uh, you know, potential fraud or uh, ethics violations or Me Too situations or change management and engagement programs or leadership training, Oh, and, yeah. and you and you want to see what's going on. Is this a positive effect or a negative effect? Well, now using that digital exhaust and the AI, you're able to see in real time if it's really working. Now, that's a huge one. You touched on a, a huge application there because it's a big trend right now to want to get employee engagement scores and use that level of engagement, that sentiment analysis of how people feel about their work, 
or the project they're working on or the training they just did uh, to assess by score the ROI. And I seem to feel like this is coming from some of my social psychology background. It's funny, like you, I studied engineering, but then I got my degree in social psychology. Um, the, the, the ability to assess a group, right, is a lot tougher than being able to ask an individual how they feel. Um, have you seen some of the HR departments that put the emotional scores uh, or, or like a color code for how people feel during the day that people hang on their doors? Have you seen that in office spaces? Like I'm feeling sad today or I'm stressed today. I've seen those in some uh, like academic environments. No, I haven't. And that's just kind of a, a individual uh, objective uh, person putting that out, huh? Correct. Correct. And the, the idea being that an individual can accurately assess how they're feeling, but it's a lot harder to assess how a group is feeling through traditional metrics that they use like surveys and uh, asking people to uh, do little engagement scores. Uh, they're not always as accurate as as some other passive means of assessing uh, information could be. And it feels like the kind of data that you're gathering passively uh, could in some ways be a little more accurate and a little more timely than traditional surveys could be. Is that is that right? Yeah, it's a lot more accurate. It's it's completely unbiased. It's real time. Um, people can't fake their language. They can't decide which words they use in the sense of of how they feel tense or their personal involvement or their connectedness. It's been proven time and time again that a psycholinguistic level that um, when, when, when people are feeling connected to others, they use different words. They use I and we. When they're feeling distant from others, they start to say they and the problem and, and everything gets pushed away. And so as much as people breathe or sweat, it, it, it's something you don't control. Your use of language is, is much like your body language. Um, mm. when, when you come home at night and you see that your wife has just got a certain look on her face and you go, I haven't heard a single word she said, but I know there's a problem. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that, that's the same thing that we're doing with this AI on the digital exhaust is, is picking up on those little nuances which allow uh, a score to be developed, which can then tell us, um, hey, th there's a change. And whatever that change is, is the signal, which would lead to a story of what that is, and then a solution. And the problem that we have today is that whether you've implemented some kind of change or put in some kind of leadership training or somebody stealing from the company or harassing another employee, you usually don't get that signal until months later when uh, you've already passed your exit on the highway. And uh, it, it, this is a real way to get in real time what's happening. That's very interesting. And that's, that's an excellent application there for, again, uh, seeing those threats in advance or those triggers, those warning signs for maybe insider problems, but also effectiveness of your, your training. You know, uh, what's better than a survey than having people maybe in a forum talk about it and you can catch exactly how well it resonated. That's, that's huge. I'll give you, I'll give you one more example for the, the case study that we had where uh, a new strategy was put into place. And the two of the groups were thrilled. They, they'd been waiting for this change and, and their, their scores went up about 20% or so. A third group that was not excited about the change, their score went down about 30%. Management sees this on the dashboard the next day 
and immediately realized that, okay, not everybody's on board with this. Got the whole groups together and said, you know what, we're going to go back on this and rethink it. And sure enough, the two groups that went up, they're now down 10% and the other group is up 10% because they think that they have this uh, power to change things. And then the management had to bring them all back in again and say, hold on again. <laughs> and so wow. it, it became a real collaborative way to, um, to break down those silos and get everybody to agree on the strategy rather than a strategy being you know pushed down from above. Because for the first time, they've got hard, real data showing hey, this is how the people feel about what has just happened. Right. Excellent. You know, I continue to wish you the best of luck with your, your uh, with the sales training. And um, at the same time, if people are, are questioning, you know, how do I know if this sales training is effective, if it's working? It's really hard to, uh, to measure sales sometimes because you really don't know until you're 18 months down the road whether it works. But uh, if you're able to pick up on, on how your people are feeling and how they're motivated, the tension, the personal connectedness with or without our software, just being aware that that there are verbal cues and the way people communicate, you can start to detect them. And when you see the eyes and the wheeze and the positivity, things are going good. But the second you see those emails, and it doesn't need to be in all caps, but just, you know, an, an email where, where people start to push problems away and use they and them and it. Um, that that's a good red flag to say, let's circle the wagons here and, and see what's going on. Excellent. Well, I got to tell you, that's um, that's a fantastic solution that you're working on. But as I listen to it and knowing the makeup of our audience, we've got all different sizes and scales of companies uh, that tune in to the Sales Synergistics podcast. That's really sounds like a, an enterprise solution, right? It's something that a company of a certain scale can manage. And so I'll ask you this question, uh, based on your experience in all the various sales roles you've had and also working with uh, ESMA. Uh, I was talking to Bruce Copkin just the other day, as a matter of fact, uh, working with ESMA uh, and Technology Association of Georgia. You've seen a lot of different sales groups and a lot of different size of companies. What can a company on a smaller scale, a startup or a very small firm or maybe a medium-sized company, what can they do to tackle these kind of silos and hidden triggers um, that they, they can't capture normally? What can they do at their level when solutions like yours aren't really right for them? Yeah, you know, I, I, you brushed on it earlier and I didn't uh, totally address it. But one of the things that I was able to do uh, when I transitioned over to sales was uh, start my own uh manufacturer's rep company representing uh, U.S. companies that wanted to sell into Mexico. And as I grew that company, I was fortunate to have worked for the IBMs and the Toyotas and such because I had seen companies where situations where, you know, they had 40 people just in their expat area. Um, you know, not, not just one person that handled expat issues or not one human resources person, but 40 people in their expat uh, um, program. Right. And so you, you learn from working in those big companies, what are the different elements in your startup environment that you have to be ready for? There's a famous story where uh, Michael Dell um, gets approached by, by one of his early employees that says, hey, the Coke machine's broken. And Michael Dell screams at him and and tells the, the, the HR guy to fire him for bringing him such a petty problem. 
and the HR guy goes, well, Michael, open your desk drawer. And uh, he opened the drawer and there was the key to the Coke machine that Michael didn't want to let go of. And so, um, you know, those kind of little things that you encounter as you go along on on what are the different parts of the company that we're going to need and who's holding on too tight uh, can be picked up in, in, you know, how people are communicating with each other. So, you know, while our software kind of requires a certain sample size in order for it to be effective and, you know, installing a software of this scope is hard for a smaller group, the yeah. same principles yeah. apply. If, if you're sensitive to the language people are using, if you're sensitive to how people are feeling in the organization um, and, and are able to, to raise the flag when those uh, problems occur and say, hey, let's stop and talk about this, uh, any startup can be successful. The most successful startup leaders I've seen are the ones that are really able to just kind of coach their, their, their project through the process rather than lead it. On that smaller scale, as those startups or medium-sized businesses work, it sounds like uh, everything about what you just said is, is ghosting or presupposing a culture of empathy and trust, uh, transparency. A lot of those things that you hear as platitudes in leadership trainings, it sounds like there's a very important application that uh, you can't achieve without those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, at, at the end of the day, we're – we're not only trying to be successful in our jobs and our careers and make money, but we're trying to be part of something bigger. And uh, you see it and hear it time and time again that people don't leave companies, they leave bosses, and that there are people that say they won't leave their company for any amount of money. And when we can not only put ourselves in one of those situations, but be part of creating one of those situations, where everybody's happy to work and that happiness at work is making their um, uh, their home life happy, then then I think that's when we've really succeeded. Awesome. Awesome. I, I think we're coming back full circle to something you brought up about experiencing life from the other side. And you know from our conversations that a big thing we promote here at Sales Synergistics is the seller's perspective, making sure that uh, we get everybody aligned around the idea that Everybody has one mission, which is revenue. It's not accounting. It's not marketing. It's not shipping and logistics. The, the mission of the company is revenue. We get everybody aligned through that tip of the spear, focusing on that seller's perspective is, is helpful. But I think that goes for everybody. We need sellers to understand what the other people in the company do, uh, how the things that the sellers do affect them, and vice versa. People need to know how delays in shipping affects the, the customer outcomes and the sales team's ability to get, uh, you know, repeat business and all of the things that they're metrics on. So uh, you've kind of brought it back full circle to what you talked about from the beginning, just spending that time with other groups in the organization to make sure you're a, a more effective at working with them. It helps to break down the silos. Absolutely. I'll ask you this, too. Uh, you're one of many, many people that I take great advice from who came from an engineering background and then transition to sales. Do you feel like engineers just make better salespeople? Huh, that's a great question, Jason. Um, you know, I, I, I was a, a, a operations research major and then that was a little bit too much math. So I went over to industrial engineering and then uh, industrial engineering master's degree was way too much math. 
So then I found a master's in engineering management, which was half time in the MBA department and half time in the industrial engineering department. And that's kind of where I, nice. that's, the, that's where I ended up falling. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the worst thing that you can do sometimes is bring the engineers to a sales meeting. They will, kill your, they will kill your sales opportunity faster than anybody. Um, so, but, at, but at the same time, everybody knows that sales guy that just doesn't know what he's talking about. So I'm not going to you know, wholeheartedly agree with you that engineers make better salespeople, but I do think that there's a breed of people that, that can hold their own in any engineering conversation, any kind of technical conversation know when to call upon the engineers. Um, a bad salesperson will will try to answer the technical question that they have no right answering. A good salesperson will say, I'm going to find out that answer for you and get it to you by the end of the day. And, and the customer will respect that. Uh, so, you know, there is a certain level of technical knowledge that, that is absolutely required, but it's also an, an, an ability to know when to answer a question and when to go get the answer. Amen. Amen. I loved my engineers. I really did. We couldn't survive without them. And uh, at IBM for my role, I had to build my own mafia to help me out. I had to have engineers that could, could do favors for me to come on calls that uh, weren't assigned to me. And having them on hand and knowing what was important to them was important to get that buy-in and get their support as favors for very big deals that really needed that technical help. So, uh, yeah, I've experienced both sides of that, being grateful for them to be on the call and, and kind of upset that I brought them on to tell them, no, it doesn't do that. No, don't tell them that. It drove me nuts. Exactly. But um, that being said, uh, there's a lot of great information here that you've given today. I want to make sure that everybody on the team uh, or on the podcast listening today can get more information about you and your company and how to find uh, more information on not just your company, but the other organizations you support. Can you share some of your contact info and where to plug in to get more of it? Yeah. Um, the name of the company that I'm working for, if you're interested in that, is Keen Corp. It's uh, K-E-E-N-C-O-R-P. Um, and you can go to keencorp.com and find out all about us there. Uh, I'm at the same time that my company is focused on using that digital exhaust to uh, measure what's going on, I'm making a push to, to reduce email usage. So I think the best way to get in touch with me and see what I'm up to is just to find me on LinkedIn, Ed Julene, J-U-L-I-N-E. You can see all the, the stuff that I've done, what I'm doing, and that's a great place to, to send a message over as well and creates a nice professional environment for us all to communicate. And we're going to make sure we meet again when we cross paths at the Enterprise Sales and Marketing Association. That's uh, a great group, and we'll cross paths there. Uh, we got some information from Bruce about that last time, so I uh, hope to see you there soon. Ed, thank you so much today. I appreciate it. You have a great rest of your week, and we will circle up with you on the next installment of the Sales and Logistics Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.